0: oh uh. some my people's one time what up what up what up ladies and gentlemen welcome welcome this is the whole crew we are in here this is across the intersection podcast this is AJ I am in here with Eve and a sizzle hello. As always, you can hit us up on divemedia.co. That is divemedia.co, and you can get at us on the socials. We are at this is dive media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., etc., etc. This is dive media, and we can be listened to. Like that robotic sound. We can be ingested where podcasts are ingested Apple Podcasts and iTunes Spotify Google Podcasts, Google Play Stitcher, TuneIn Radio And the clouds of sound And you can get it your boy here on all platforms I am at Divinimus D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S
1: And as is my custom I am at E to the V to the Where we talk about every possible issue under the sun So join up
0: Yeah, yeah So you guys um, who've been listening and who've been loving and who've been commenting, by the way, if you're on that Apple platform, as I like to make it my custom, please let me get those five stars up off you. So all of my iPhone users, iPad users, if you got two eyes, I need you to get on there and give me five stars and a good review. If you got anything less than five stars, you can go ahead and hold that. Just hold on to that for me. But if you got five stars, I need to get them stars up off you. All right. With that being said, For those of you who know how we get down, you recall that um, we talked about a couple of justice matters on the last couple of episodes, not the last episode, but the episode before last. Uh, We talked about Botham John and a couple other things having to do with justice and biblical justice. Well, your boy went out and I done got professional tonight. We done got professional.
1: You done did got.
0: Now, you done done did got. The University of Maryland would be rolling over in their grave if they heard that <laughs> use of the English language. We got professional tonight. We have with us a real life attorney, y'all, a real life lawyer, people. We have Mrs. Sabrina Thompson with us tonight. Sabrina, say hello to the peoples.
1: Hello there.
0: So, Sabrina. I'm going to give them a little bit of our backstory, and then I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell them what you do. So Sabrina and I, actually, I think this is a funny story, so I'm going to keep telling it. Um, Sabrina and I actually went to undergraduate together, but as is custom in Western society, women get married and change their name. And so my wife was saying, hey, you should get Sabrina Thompson on the show. I'm like, who's Sabrina Thompson? Who is that? (laughs) she kept telling me now you know who that is we went to college and literally we went to college for two years together ran in the same circles so when i went to her office i was there with a friend of mine and she came out and i was like oh that's sabrina <laughs> so she was like yes i was sabrina richardson back in school i was like oh okay yeah nice. darn westerns western cultural norms You should have been, you should have had that hyphenated thing going on. Anyway, Sabrina, why don't you tell everybody about yourself, what it is, you know, who you are and what it is that you do?
2: You know, funny enough, when I first got married, I actually was using both Richardson and Thompson and it just became too much of a mouthful to say Sabrina Richardson Thompson. So eventually I dropped the Richardson and here we are.
0: Oh, that does sound like a lot going on now that I, now that I that's a whole but, lot of syllables. Um,
2: okay. It was, it was a lot. You know, every time when lawyers are in court, we always have to announce our name on the record before we speak. And so it just really became
3: too many out of letters,
2: huh? Right.
3: <laughs>
2: so, um, but in, in the way of introduction, I am Sabrina Thompson. I am a criminal defense and an immigration attorney. I practice in the state of Maryland for my criminal defense work and the immigration work that I do, I am able to practice internationally because that is a federal practice. Um, So I have clients all over the world that I help to get legal status here in the United States. I've been practicing for, um, wow, 12 years now, It goes by really fast. And I have an office that is based in Prince George's County, Maryland.
0: Yeah. Y'all know what that black excellence is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's black excellence. Y'all didn't know we got black excellence on this show. All right. So Sabrina, you know, we, we definitely wanted to, you know, we've, we've shared our thoughts and, you know, even things that we thought we kind of got from the Lord, just sitting and meditating and praying with all the things that are going on. And of course you're in that field. So you know what's going on you know, it's populating out here in these streets. Um, so we thought, you know, in addition to just someone who, you know, who loves God and, and, you know, who follows Christ, just someone who is also legally trained in the judicial system. And just get mm-hmm. your thoughts on some of these things and, you know, how how have you been maneuvering and, and how you've been kind of, you know, doing what you do as you've been practicing for the past 12 years. You know, you pick, the, you pick a great 12 years to start practicing law.
1: Um.
0: So question. So with with that, as a as the premise, um, how do you kind of navigate the judicial system just as someone who is a follower of Christ and understanding, you know, the convictions that you may have as a believer and then having to weigh and balance that with also, you know, being a trained attorney and doing what you have to do in the judicial system?
2: So, um, that's an interesting question and I get some variation of it very often because, um, as I mentioned, I practice in criminal defense. So I am often representing people who are accused of doing bad things. I also, as you mentioned, am a believer of Christ very devout Christian, and so for some reason, people think seem to think that those two um, identities don't go together. Defending someone who's been accused of doing something wrong and being a Christian, however, for me, they don't um, collide in a way that is negative. Um, <clears throat> the way our criminal justice system is designed. The prosecutor, whoever is bringing the case against the person who is accused, they have a burden and it's a very high burden to prove the allegations against the person. My job as the representative of a criminal defendant is to ensure that the prosecutor has met their burden before they can get any conviction and to ensure that my clients have access to all of their rights. Nothing about my belief as a Christian prevents me from doing that. Sometimes I do represent people who... um have done what they're accused of that doesn't mean that they don't need access to um justice sometimes justice means negotiating a fair penalty other times justice means fighting because a person may actually be innocent so um my role my identity as a christian doesn't compromise my ability to fight for fairness on behalf of my clients. If anything, it helps me.
1: That goes back to something we, we've been saying in previous podcast episodes, AJ and Avery, um, where some people will automatically retort, if you don't want the crime, I mean, if you don't want the time, don't do the crime. But the reality is, if you slap somebody, that's not a death sentence. Like, we just wanna make sure that the crime, that the time matches the crime. You right. know. And that's something that um, I admire people like you who actually do, because even if someone's guilty, the next question is, what is a, a just penalty? And right. some people want to put folks away in a box for eternity for a crime that, that, that's irres- that, that is inconsistent with that kind of penalty. And, you know, people keep on forgetting that that's a part of the judicial process as well.
2: Exactly. I agree.
0: Well, that was a um, honestly, that was an amazing answer. <laughs> that was an am- it's very rare that I kind of you know, am left uh, speechless, but you get one of the first here <laughs> on this show. Um, well, because you know, I I just I appreciate the answer because it it's very closely aligned with what we believe biblical justice to be. Because sometimes in scripture you see there is there are penalties, you know, mm-hmm. but the, but the penalties are just and righteous. And Mm -hmm. not penalties just for the sake of penalties. So, no, I I think that that illustration you gave was amazing. Um, You're
1: making a really good point, AJ, because that's all we see in Leviticus, I think it is, and Deuteronomy. That every time something comes up, there's a penalty that aligns with it. There's never any sort of, you know, random thing that somebody can do. And then the scripture is like, so put them into the ground. And keep them there, no matter what they did. So, yeah, that's a really good point. It's like if we're talking about biblical justice, and a lot of people want to push the original testament out, but if we talk about the Bible and we see it as holistic, it's consistent. You know, there's something, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no sort of randomness associated with the way that God functions.
0: So, So with that being said, as we're talking about justice, Um, There were there were two pretty landmark cases going on. One is still ongoing. Um, One wrapped up pretty recently down in the great state of Texas. Um, What what are your thoughts um, first on the Botham John case um, with the recent sentencing of Amber Geiger um, and just the response of the judge? and the bailiff going through the hair and all that kind of stuff as, as, as an attorney, you know, take apart, you know, take apart your, your, your position as a black female, just as an attorney, if you were in that courtroom and you saw all of that behavior going on, how would you have viewed that?
2: Let me tell you. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> that Amber Geiger trial trial, did a job on me. I had to take a break from social media. I just had to pull back because I was just so infuriated by what I saw on the part of the judge, the bailiff, and by what I was reading in um, you know, other people's posts and their comments, it really was just too much for me. So I had to take a break for a couple of days. Um my thoughts. So I am in court regularly. I mean, this is what I do. Before I was a private defense attorney, I worked as a public defender. And, wow. um handled literally thousands of cases. So wow. I know how things go in court. Okay. This is my lane and what judge Kemp did, what that bailiff did, um, those Behavior was unprecedented. It's unprecedented. It just does not happen, point blank and period. Um, I thought, and again, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, I believe in forgiveness. You know, I totally understand that. However, as a practitioner, I also believe in court decorum, I believe in the um, impartiality of the judge right? That's first and foremost. Um, There should be no deference, you know, on the part of a judge given to any party that is presiding before her. And so, you know, her action in coming off the bench and hugging the defendant was wholly inappropriate. You know, that should not have been done, right? Now the brother, that's a different story. You know, he is not a court official. Right. He's um, in titled you know to grieve and do whatever he needs to do but the judge should not behave that way and the um, explanation that the judge offered about the bailiff and the reason for her stroking the hair just didn't make sense make sense because that's not the way that defendants are searched. It didn't ha- number one, it doesn't happen in the courtroom. It happens in the back of the courtroom when they take them to be processed into a lockup. Um, and it's just and you, not done that way.
3: You're referring to, you're referring to the the judge Tammy Kemp in the, in the later interview saying that um, the, the, <clears throat> the bailiff was not stroking the woman's hair. The, base, the, bailiff, the bailiff was searching for contraband.
2: Correct. Yes, yeah, I that's saw that what, what I'm referring to. Mm. The judge's explanation. She might have a knife in,
0: in her hair. <laughs> I know. Right? I mean, she might. <laughs>
2: Honestly, she they do search hair. You know, mm. she could have something in there, but that's not the way it's done. First of all, if she had a knife, it would have cut her. Right. The way mm. she was searching.
3: Right. Right. Um, she didn't have any gloves yeah. on or anything like that.
2: Right, exactly. that's not the protocol, you know, I think it was a case of um, I think I think all the parties involved were extremely empathetic toward Miss Geiger, you know, she cried, there's this um, syndrome, I can't think of the name of it, but there's a syndrome for um, the effect of seeing a white woman woman crying. Oh,
3: yeah, I think that's called uh, uh, white supremacy. <laughs> Racial white supremacy. I think it's racism.
2: racism. I think right, I think, oh, I think it's called racism. Goodness gracious. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah. Welcome Something to like Across that. the Intersection, like and yeah. gentlemen. Um, uh,
2: and I really <laughs> think that that got a hold of a lot of the people in that courtroom on those days. Wow.
0: Do you feel like that case may have set a precedent for trials like this?
2: Um, y- n- yes and no. So I will say I was um, pleasantly surprised when the murder verdict was returned, right? I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that she would have been convicted of murder, and so when the conviction came down, I was thinking that the case would be setting a precedent, right? But one that is more favorable to our community. Um, then, you know, shortly after that, when the sentence was um, announced, and I realized, you know, the leniency. That they gave this woman, I just like, oh, okay, yeah. So, so we're back to business as usual, which is, you know, the racism that we see in our, some day in and day out. So, you know, it, it, because because we did get the murder conviction, it did feel like somewhat of a move forward, some progression toward actual justice and fairness. But that sentence kind of just brought it back to the sad reality in which we live.
1: Mm. I just have so, to make a statement about uh, the issue of white woman's tears, just for just to provide a little bit of backdrop for uh, the listener and for the purpose of the conversation. When slavery was racialized, uh, which happened in the 17th century,
3: yeah, 16th, um, uh, 18th, okay.
1: 1705, yeah, it was okay, it was okay, made 18-
3: law. Yeah.
1: But when slavery was racialized, um, one, of the thing, one of the things that the people who um, were in charge of a peculiar institution wanted to do in order to increase their profits was to make sure that there wasn't a question as to race um, in terms of, you know, uh, who would be considered in a slave class and who would be considered in the, the possibility of a free class. Although there, were also, there was also stratification among white people or people considered white. Anyway, I'm saying all this to say that one thing that they definitely did not want to happen was something called miscegenation or the mixing of the races. Mm -hmm. And that's when white women were elevated to this really um, angelic status uh, so that a demarcation could be made and there could be a demonization of black men pursuing white women. Um, So this is an old thing where white women are held up on that pedestal and any sort of um, emotional cry that could go out would have a negative or extreme effect on human beings in this country. And the weird thing about white supremacy um, that Avery mentioned is that everybody who swims in the water you know, is, um, is, is, a, is impacted by it. So you have this courtroom in which black people are impacted by this girl's tears. And that doesn't mean that, you know, somehow this is not white supremacy at work because everybody um, is impacted by uh, the white woman and the way that she responds when she's under duress. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I know one of the things that she used as a part of her defense was the Castle Doctrine. Um, now, you know, we're just, three regular folk. you know, we're just three regular folk here. Why don't you, from a legal perspective, articulate to the listeners what the Castle Doctrine actually is and whether or not that was applicable?
2: So the Castle Doctrine, it's kind it's under like the umbrella of the um, quote unquote stand your ground laws. And it does vary state by state. in Maryland, where I practice, the castle doctrine refers to the concept that you can protect your castle. Your home is your castle, and you know one can use um, any force up to deadly force if necessary to protect their home and um, you know those who are within it. Um, there are certain elements that are required to be present in order for one to put forward that kind of defense. You have to be in your home, number one, or um, some case law can, will extend that the, the parameters like your yard. Um, you have to have perceived a threat and um, the the perce- perceiving that threat has to have been reasonable based on the situation. And um, you have to use no more force than is um necessary to prevent the threat from continuing so Did that makes sense do i need to use more layman's terms sometimes i can get real legal no
3: no <laughs> so no no i recall i recall i recall learning um a little bit about uh whole thing about 21 feet uh for let's say a firearm uh are you familiar with that
2: um i'm not school me tell me what you learned well um
3: so what what it is that I had was made aware of, and I want to say sometimes depending on what it is, either like Massachusetts or New York is strict or something like that. But Maryland is way up there, and um, oh no, is it Illinois has a strictest. Either way, Maryland's way up there, but the but the standard ground law in Maryland, which is different than in Florida and in Texas states, um, that uh, inside of your home, part of being able to communicate that you have you perceived a threat is that uh, an intruder is threatened is, is threatening your life, and if you have a um, if you use deadly force such as a firearm, um, then that person will have to be within 21 feet of you. So if that person is not within 21 feet, and you let it, you know, you let one of those things or a few of those things bring out, and that person, they either die. Or uh, they they survive. You can actually be held liable if you cannot prove that your life was threatened, because the law states that, or it's just saying that twenty-one feet seems to be that your your you, your life is not necessarily uh, under threat. Uh, so there's no reason to use deadly force. Uh, whereas if somebody was in twenty within twenty-one feet. You still have to prove it, but it's a lot easier to at that point in time, apparently, particularly if you're using a firearm.
2: Um, so I haven't done any fresh research in um, on the Castle Doctrine as of late. Typically, when one is arguing that the Castle Doctrine applies in their case and, and is using it as a defense, the, the analysis is... Um, it's case by case, not to say that, you know, whether someone is within a certain amount of feet or not is probably not dispositive. You know, it's, it's a totality of the circumstances that the court is going to look at, and they're going to look for the presence of those other elements that I mentioned. Now, there might be something about 21 feet in case law, but I haven't read that um, so I can't speak to that specifically.
3: Oh, okay, okay. No no, no problem. What, What is, I am interested in your thoughts of, um, uh, as AJ brought up, how the defense in the Botham, Botham John case try, tried to utilize the castle doctrine even though she was not in her own home. Her
2: own home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that was very interesting that the court allowed for that them to make that argument, but you know what I thought was very smart on the part of the judge by allowing it is that in some ways it appeal proofed the case, right? Mm. Because if the judge had denied the defense the opportunity for them to present the castle doctrine as um, a defense, um, they could appeal on just that denial, the denial of being allowed to make their case. So when i heard that i mean it, you know it was shocking because it seems like it doesn't apply you know she's not in her home so it seems like it's not applicable <clears throat> but then i thought further and said oh but you know what by allowing them to at least make the argument that doesn't mean that she'll prevail on it the judge is simply saying okay well you can present it i mean it's up to the jury whether they buy it or not
3: hmm. then
2: they that's not an issue that they can raise on appeal
3: okay it now uh, is it possible to appeal this case
2: Yes, there are other grounds. There are there are definitely other grounds that can be raised, but um, that is not one of them.
3: <laughs> do you do you think um, do you think that with some of the uh, statements that were made afterward that were recorded and uh, in, in the atmosphere for the for the populace to see will uh, help to uh, help to grant any kind of um, uh, appeal process?
2: statements like what? Can you, what what do you mean
3: statements like such as i don't even want you to go to jail the hugs by um his brother the 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 brother the statements from the father like oh you know you have to pay a penalty but i hope we have to be i hope we can be friends some you know one day and you know all those things do, 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 do those have any kind of benefit to amber geiger's uh, legal team
2: Well, when you're when you're making a case for appeal, right, the defendant is going to be trying to argue that there was some um, error, you know, some legal error or some something that happened that prejudiced her, you know, or that negatively impacted her. All those things arguably favorably impacted her, right? Mm -hmm. So. I'm not sure that it would be any of those types of statements. I did follow the case kind of, you know, through the headlines. I didn't watch the trial, um, so I don't know, you know, exactly what grounds um, the defense might be seeking to raise on appeal. I did read that they have filed notice um, of their intent to appeal.
1: Right. But I, I haven't
2: read the brief or anything, so I don't know, like, what issues they are. But as a defense attorney, I know that I've done enough trials to know that there's something in there that you can make the argument. Like, you can find some research and make an argument that you are worthy of an appeal. Wow.
0: So what about the um, the second case that that's going on now in the Fort Worth area? And that's Miss Tatiana Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the young lady who was, sh- you know, shot through her window. Just for the listeners, um, by the officer doing a welfare check. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, again, about setting precedent, um, and you know, for people who would make statements like, "We're not even safe in our own homes now." Um, mm-hmm. How How would you proceed to either litigate it or defend against you know in in this situation?
2: Defend who the the ex-police officer who murdered her.
0: Yeah, if you were on either side If you had to defend that police officer or if that. you had to prosecute. Yeah
2: um, <clears throat> It's it's hard. I mean, you know, they say a good lawyer can argue both sides of any case um, But you know Here we see the castle doctrine again essentially right because you know from what we understand, Miss Jefferson apparently did have a weapon and um, it seems like she actually may have even pointed it at the window where she heard something. And, you know, if that's the case, everything about that was completely legal. You know, she was in her home. She had a right to protect herself, to protect her family members who were in there. Right. And ultimately, you know, that may have been what led to her death because the officer will argue that he saw a gun pointed at him. And you know, perceived a threat. Obviously, his his safety was in danger, and so he he fired. Um, I think that's the argument for him, you know, on his side that someone pointed had a gun pointed at him, and so he had to defend himself, and he and he fired a shot. Um, I think the problems for him, though, you know, there's a protocol that police have to follow for different types of calls, right? So the neighbor who made the call. Called the non-emergency line, explained that he was just concerned and wanted to make sure his neighbor was okay. But for whatever reason, it seems that the police treated it as a suspect um, investigation, as right. if they were looking for um, a dangerous person. They didn't announce themselves. You know, um, you know, nobody knew that it was police that were there. So I think those facts will create a problem. You know, for the defense, if if um, the officer, the ex-officer, ends up being charged and has to defend himself. Um, you know, but I think both these cases and many of the others that we have seen really deal with just you know the bigger problem, like um, you know, one of you said earlier about just white supremacy and and really racism um, in in this system. You know, I think. Ava DuVernay titled that um, documentary very well, the documentary that she did about the exonerated five from um, Central Park, when they see us, you know, and I think that really is the crux of the problem that these officers out here, many of them are terrified. You know, they have these badges and these guns, but they're shaking in their boots. And when they see black people, they are scared. You know, and that fear is likely very real for them, but it results in death for us because they are unreasonably shooting and shooting to kill because they're just so afraid. One thing I told
1: my co-hosts a couple of times is that I really sincerely believe that there should be something within police academies that. That gives people options about what they can do within the criminal justice field, and that they will be precluded from being on the street or or having a firearm if they have that level of anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. th- there should be there should be options for them, and they should be taken out of the the path toward toward being able to use a firearm if they're that anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know they'll just fire first and ask questions later. I mm-hmm. did have a question for you uh, which is kind of a reverse uh, angle having to do with how we should respond if we were in a Tatiana's position but AJ did you want to ask something before I did that okay, no, that, so, that was actually
3: that was me um, okay. but you can go ahead you so know, go ahead ask, yeah, ask your question
1: said, Sabrina um, you know because the thing of course I feel for Tatiana and her family which you know this is devastating I could not imagine being a Family member in this situation. Um, what comes to my mind, though, as a citizen is how can we avoid ending up like a Tatiana? So, for example, if we were inside our own home, we're just citizens, we're, we're um, civilians, and we hear rummaging and we have a weapon to protect ourselves, you know, something that is legal, um, depending on where we are, and we have younger relatives inside of the facility. Should we first yell from another room to be sure it's not a cop? Now, again, we hear rummaging. We don't know who it is or what's going on. But just to cover our own selves, should we first yell saying, um, I have a firearm? You know, so I guess ultimately the question is, what could have prevented a Tatiana from ending up dead? I don't know if this those, um uh, beyond your scope of expertise? And I'm, this is not me focusing on a Tatiana saying she did something wrong, but I'm saying from the perspective of other people who could very easily be in the same situation, what do you think we could do?
2: And, you know, that's such a tough question because the problem is so vast at this point. I almost feel like you know, there's not there's not much that we can do, right? Because, you know, I, as I said earlier, a Tatiana, as far as we know, by the facts that have been released, didn't do anything wrong, didn't do anything illegally. She was doing everything right. You know, she was doing what we tell our kids, like stay at home, be in your house. You know, don't be out here in the streets. And I mean, apparently you know as aj said earlier we're not even safe in our own homes i don't know that if she had yelled or you know tried to communicate with the the person she heard outside if that would have made any difference there was a case in baltimore a couple years ago a woman was killed by police she was in her home and she and the police were having an exchange like through the door for some time she had a, i think a 5 year old in the house with her and ultimately, you know, they ended up killing her. You know, they ended up busting in there, killing her. Corinne Gangs. Yes, her. hmm Um, with her child present, you know, so Yeah. And 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 I'm sure for every scenario that we can try to imagine, I'm sure there's a story for it. You know, I think really it just gets back to what I was saying that the root of the problem really is to deal with these Officers and their implicit bias, their racism, their um, level of fear, and really like retrain them. Start from scratch and just really retrain them, and do it often, so that they are forced to confront, you know, these issues. Because when they play out in the street, that's when we have these tragedies. Well, um, yeah, yeah, I. I <laughs> I mean, I, I
3: just even go so far as to say uh, that um, you know, and I you know I respect the police and, and all of that. Um, shout out to shout outs to the police, all the people doing trying to do good work, yada yada. The police is is a localized military. It's the military of uh, of the state broken down into communities all across the United States. They're the military. In fact, they receive uh, many times uh, equipment from the military the police are the military. They are the military. And I don't know how many times I have to repeat this for the listener to hear that the police are the military. And so with that said, when they are out, out here um, with this idea of serving and protecting, they are serving and they are protecting, but um, they are uh, serving and protecting um, a, uh, a system that enables them to eat. And they are not serving and they are not protecting uh, uh, uh in large numbers, uh, and by and large, uh, black people, because that's not what this system—that's that—that's not what they're designed to do. And so, because when 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 they're out there and they and and they they got the thing on their hip and they're responding to these calls, uh, they're thinking, you know, their life is flashing before their eyes, and they're concerned that they want they want to wake up in the morning. You see what I'm saying? So again, they're the military. And um, the, the, the bottom line, uh, in my view anyway, and I know this is not me being interviewed, it's Sabrina, but it, it is the podcast, so I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, the bottom line is that being that they are the military, um, there, is an expecti- there is the expectation that um, some soldiers just get it. Um, they, some, some soldiers get laid out, uh, and that's just what it is. And so uh, they have to come to they, they have to accept that uh, that some of them are not going to come home uh, because many of us don't come home. We in fact, we die in our homes uh, because they just want to go home. Uh, and so until that is dealt with, again, this is in my view, then it's going to be continued. It's, there will be continued to be more and more of these cases.
1: So, Avery, there is this idea that's come about more recently called community policing. And it seems that in Oakland and San Francisco and certain jurisdictions, I've heard about the idea that the police know the citizens, know the business owners, walk the beat, interact with people and not just stay holed up in their cars. How does that comport with what you're saying? Which is that it's basically a localized military.
3: I mean, yeah, like obviously that would be uh, a beneficial approach in my view. Uh, however, um, the police is so thoroughly infiltrated, uh, with, we with, uh, so many bad actors. Uh, I mean, it's just run that way from the top to the bottom. And every time, you know, somebody tries to stand up to do something about that many times, you know, they get, they, they get shot up, burnt and left in a vehicle, you know, and the police have no idea how that happened. So um, I, I, I do I do think that having our own police force uh, is critical. It's very important. But the, the you know, that that will in, in my view, that will that will come when people st- when people start to see themselves as their own and not as uh, subservient to, you know, the, the,
0: the white class. Sabrina I know you said that you were previously a public defender in in that role did you have to like make partnerships with the with law enforcement or like work out deals because one not of the things you all. hear a lot of t- not oh,
2: at all not really. at all and you know I'm actually glad you asked me that because there is um a misconception I think among the community that public defenders because um, they are paid by the government that that They are um, in some type of collusion, or you know, work with the government against the accused person, and that's absolutely not true. You know, the, these public defender offices—they are independent, right? They are autonomous. They are not governed by the prosecutors. They—they they don't work with the judges. They don't work with the police. They are their independent own agency. Um, the funding does come from the government. Right. But um, there's no other connection. Otherwise, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, when I started, I was a very young lawyer when I started at the PD's office. And, you so know, they you're just kind of
3: you Ramona J. Israel.
2: Who's that? I don't know her.
3: No, nah, that's just a little play off the little Denzel movie. Roman J. Israel. Anyway, you can continue.
2: Oh, that's a man. I'm sorry. I'm not hip. I don't get a lot of time to watch movies. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But I was a very young lawyer when I started at the PD's office and they just kind of gave me like a stack of files and were like, you know, here are your cases. Like, let us know if you need help. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't know how to do any of this, Mm. Um, but you learn really quickly that way. You know, you you just, you just get going and you sink or swim. And so it was rough, but it was the most invaluable experience. You know, it taught me so much. So, you know, I handled cases a lot of times, even without supervising, a supervising attorney directing me, you know, so no, there is not, um, it's not true that public defenders work with police officers i mean there may be individual people who are corrupt or dishonest and that might just be a you know a reflection of that individual but the agencies as a whole don't operate that way
0: okay and you know we as we come around third base here you know there was something else that you said that i think was really um pertinent to the discussion and you know for for those of us who who follow christ i I make it like it's our duty. You know, one of the things that I tell people a lot, just in casual conversation, is that you cannot expect righteousness from unrighteous people. Right? We sometimes expect the unrighteous to act righteous all of a sudden. Like, oh, why? You know, why they doing this? And you'd be like, of course they're doing it. Why wouldn't they do anything else? Right? You know, (laughs) what are you surprised by? But you said uh, something about the the officers you know and not just officers but people in general but because you know the officers are people um they are impacted heavily by the spirit of fear and so when they're so strongly governed by fear it it almost incapacitates them from being able to fulfill the duties of their job mm-hmm. Um, so just from you know because i know you had mentioned some things that you do with your cases the day that i was in your office and how would you how would you even you know AJ age?
3: you 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 got a case coming up that we don't know about
0: lawyer hey
3: are you trying to get free uh, legal advice right now
0: hey hey Ooh. hey brother lawyer client privilege lawyer client privilege only
3: <laughs> pretty Cl- sure you got to hire
0: her first <laughs> woo hey, you know I, I two or three more podcasts and I'm gonna have lawyer money. So you know,
1: he, he, he heard you was a public defender. You know, <laughs> you, see, you see what I do with the, with all this testosterone. <laughs> I see. Um,
0: but no, Uh-oh. just in 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 terms of advocating for you know, on, on behalf of people who are subject to the system? Cause you know, we all can talk Jesus all day long, but there are some people who got cases, right. And there are just some people who mm-hmm. got to deal with the police and they're just people who are caught up in the system just as followers of Christ. How, you know, how are some ways in which you would encourage people to, you know, move, move forward?
2: Mm, um, well, <laughs> I will say I pray daily um, and, and sometimes more than just once a day when I'm handling my cases and while I'm when I'm dealing with the opposition. Um I'm fortunate enough to know that I've been called to do the work that I do. And and I, I say fortunate because I count it a blessing to be um, you know, in direct connection with what I know my God-given purpose to be, right? Um, However, you know, that blessing, it, 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 it comes with a cost. And so I am heavily invested in the work that I do. And I'm very passionate about the work that I do. And so sometimes I find myself really going at it. With the opposition, whether that be the prosecutor or the police officers in these courtrooms, and I often have to take a step back, you know, just to um, keep my composure, just to um, not lose my 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 own peace um, in in doing the work that I do. And if I can do it, I know that other people can do it. You know, when 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 you are having encounters on the street with the police, and I know it's hard. Trust me, I have been there myself personally, you know, being pulled over, um, you know, being accused of something that I know I didn't do and trying to keep my calm about me. And and it's tough. It is tough, especially in light of all of the injustice that um, we see and read about in the headlines every day and feeling like, you know, you're just another one being targeted by this unfair racist, unjust system. But I say that to say, especially as a believer that we have a helper, you know, we have a helper that is available to us um, in these times of trouble. And so I call on my helper all the time, you know, and I encourage other people to do that as well, um, whether it be in an encounter with the police or whether it be, you know, trying to fight a case um, in court or whatever the opposition, the obstacle may be.
0: Wow. I really appreciate that because I know a lot of people, you know, we, we know there, there are people who listen who, you know, who love God and there are people who listen and don't really rock with all that Jesus stuff. And, you know, one of the things I always say to people who too respond to me like that is, man, you know, leave me alone with all that Bible stuff. It's like, well, listen, when stuff start happening, you just let me know how you're going to deal with it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you're going to deal with it. I know how I deal with it. And so I just appreciate that because yeah, I mean, things happen, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that states that the rain falls on the just and the unjust
1: and you know, things,
0: things, things will happen. Things are going to happen. And so, you know, we just have to be able to find a way to mitigate it as, as you know, righteously as possible. So, Man, Sabrina, is there any way in which if anyone wanted to get in contact with you who did want some legal services or who did want legal advice or, you know, who did just want to, you know, find out more about this helper you speak about? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> how would how would people who are listening get in contact with you be able to um, reach out to your law firm?
2: Sure. And, um, and let me just add for the, for those who are not bought in to the Jesus walk just yet that, you know, whether you're a believer or not, you should never deal with this, um criminal justice system on your own. You know, if you were to break your leg, you know, you wouldn't try to perform a surgery on your own. You would go to a professional, you would go to a hospital, you would get a doctor involved because they're trained to do this. It's the same way with the legal system. If you have a problem, get you a lawyer. Do not deal with the police on the streets. Don't make any statements. Don't go in for any interviews. Don't talk to them. They're not on your side. They're not your friends. If you have a problem, call an attorney, get someone who's um, trained to help you. Um, I'd be happy to talk to folks who are um, looking for assistance with criminal defense or immigration matters. I'm in Largo, Maryland. As I mentioned, my office line is 301 245 seven four four nine you can find me online at thompsonlegalgroup.com i'm also on facebook and instagram
0: thank you so much sabrina this has been one of the most impactful interviews i think we've done on the show um very insightful very thoughtful and uh, very sober very sober um again thank you
2: for having me it's been my pleasure
0: Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to reach out to the Thompson Legal Group, please get in contact with Sabrina and her team. They do excellent work. And you know, no matter what we do, whether we're talking about legal cases or just a good old helper on the side of the road, you know we're going to keep God in the mix. So for Eve and A-Sizzle, this is AJ saying peace. Peace, y'all. Peace. Bye. Let's get started. I won't cheat you. Let me set apart who is my people, the ones who set in their heart to be believers. Press on to the mark to follow Jesus. When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders, fathers that help them heal when they are beaten, or help them see the meaning when they're grieving. Don't follow their feelings that are be misleading. Yeah, they the ones that keeping it biblical Keeping 100 when others saying it's fictional A relational life, that is how it's scriptural A stay in the light while cats be living typical Integrity we chose Cause both is hypocritical Religious midwit, man that is how they picture you wishing you
1: would all the way of the extinctional